that opportunity. And I pray today that you'd give us hearts to receive, ears to hear, and Lord, a mouth to speak so that we can help others with what we hear today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When's the last time you lost something? Uh, we tend to lose things, don't we? How many of you lose your keys? Be honest. Be honest. That's right. Uh, we lose our keys. Uh, how many of you lose your glasses? I saw someone this week. I can't find my glasses. I have no idea where I put them. If you can't find your glasses, always check your face and the top of your head. And, uh, but sometimes I knew one person, they had like 30 pairs of glasses. And they just left them everywhere in the house by the chair, by the bed, on the counter. It's like, so they just always look around and they expected glasses just to be there. That's one way to deal with the problem. And I used to always misplace my keys, but uh, years ago, I, I began the practice of I always put my keys in my right pocket. So if you ever want to pickpocket me, they're always right there. And uh, if they're not there, I have no idea where they're at, as if, if I dropped the ball, they didn't go in my pocket or in a specific place in my house. They could be anywhere, and uh, I wouldn't know. Uh, people lose things. I remember one time I was here after church, and it was pretty late at night. I was counseling, probably 45 minutes after church was over. A parent frantically runs in the back door. Is my child here? Now, granted, they had several children, so it wasn't like they lost their only child. But uh, is my child here? I was like, I hope not, <laughs> you know. And uh, they came up here, and the child was sleeping in the pew. They just left their kid at church. Now, it's kind of like the Jesus situation. Mom and dad drove separately. They both thought the other one had a, you know, and it's, but you can lose things. You can lose uh, valuable things. My wife Whenever she was in Bible college, the summer right before we got married, she was traveling for the college, and they would go around to different churches in the South and uh, sing, much like we'll have a couple traveling singing groups come in this year. She was part of one of those groups, and they'd go to maybe 60 churches in uh, a summer. We were getting married three weeks after she got done with that tour, and uh, I had gotten her a uh, a nice wedding ring, an engagement ring. Well, she was at a church down south, and when she was washing her hands, she took it off and put it on the sink. And she washed her hands and then left, because, you know, everybody's talking to you. Well, like two minutes later, she realizes it's not there. So she runs back in, and now it's gone. Well, they didn't want to hurt the service, so they didn't tell the preacher, the, the pastor. They told... Um, they at first told all the girls and they told their leader and they're trying to get ready for this service but they're also running around everybody's looking for her ring they finally told the pastor and he's like oh we're going to pray about that and uh, right before the service the pastor thought it was funny this happened for like an hour for an hour she's crying she thinks she lost a wedding ring the pastor pulls it out and says oh I was just joking with you I had your ring the whole time and five girls all went. <laughs> I mean, it was like, they said it took everything they could just to get through that service with a smile, but that was not the number one guy on their list. It's just, 
how could you do that to her, you know? And even the tour preacher was mad at the preacher, you know? It was, there are just certain jokes you don't play, and, um, but you can lose things. You can lose important things. I heard of a man this week that lost his wallet. Now, if you lose your wallet, you're in trouble. Driver's license, cards, all these things. Uh, and what do you do? We all lose things. But the verses that we read here in our text are some of the most sobering words ever spoken. Because Jesus says it is possible for you to lose your soul. Think about that. Lose your soul. Look at it again. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Well, this just creates a lot of questions. First of all, what is a soul? And how can I lose it? What happens when I lose it? How can I keep it? And so today I want to just take a few minutes and dissect the words of Christ here and show you from the Scripture the deep truths of this verse. Let me encourage you, if you're ever going to lose anything, don't lose your soul. That's an eternal mistake and one that you'll regret for all eternity. Let's learn what a soul is. So according to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, Webster's defines a soul as the spiritual, rational, and immortal substance in man which distinguishes him from brutes or animals. He goes on to say that part of man which enables him to think and reason, which renders him a subject of moral government. The immortality of a soul is a fundamental article of the Christian system. And so Christians have always believed there's something called a soul. In a lot of religions, they have this concept of the soul. The soul is that part of you that thinks and feels and knows. Animals can think and they can feel, but not to the level that we do. The thing that separates us from the animal kingdom is that we were made in the image of God. We have the ability to be self-aware. We have the ability to reason logically. We have this encoded sense of morality that comes from God. If you get eaten by a wolf, he doesn't feel bad about it. If you get bitten by a snake, he's not going to lose any sleep. We're built different. And your soul is that part of you, that part of your being that is listening to me right now. It's processing what I'm saying. It's that part of you that understands you are sitting in a room. You're a part of the room, but you're separate from it. That you are a separate existence. That you are a, a conscious creature that exists on a level like nothing else in Creation. You may have never thought about it that deeply, but that's who you are, and that's your soul. The Bible teaches that every human has a body, a soul, and a spirit. Let me read a verse to you. 
1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that the Bible teaches God exists as three persons in one. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When God created man, he made man in his image. We have a physical body, we have an eternal soul, and we have an everlasting spirit. Your body is that part of you that's connected to this world. It, it feels and tastes and smells. It's basically the vessel for your eternal soul. The body will one day die. The soul lives forever. Matter of fact, the literal definition for death is separation of the soul from the body. Every time we do a funeral, if you've ever been around a lifeless body, there's one thing that's sure. He's not there anymore. Whoever it was, not there anymore. And it's not just the stopping of the firing of the synapses in the brain. Honest scientists will even tell you they don't understand consciousness. They don't understand uh, the, the consciousness that, that we have and how we exist. There's no scientific way to investigate that. And naturalist scientists will just explain it away. Oh, it's all biological. It's all natural. There's nothing supernatural. There's nothing spiritual. Uh, and that is uh, just, a un that's not only untrue, it's the opposite of the truth. If you've ever been in the room when someone passes away, it's like somebody just left the building. Not something, somebody. And so death is that separation of the eternal soul from this body. But that eternal soul has to live forever somewhere. And God gives us two choices. If we choose Christ in this life, our eternal soul gets to go to heaven to be with God. If we reject Jesus Christ in this life, we lose our soul and we are separated from God for eternity in a terrible place called hell. That's not my philosophy. That's not Christian philosophy. That's what the Holy Word of God says. And when Jesus talks about losing your soul, He's not talking about you misplaced it. He's talking about you didn't care enough about it to make sure it was safe. And you lose your soul for all eternity. We also have this thing called a spirit. The spirit is, our, is the part of us that communicates with God. Jesus said in the book of John that God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's the spirit part of us that communicates with God and has that relationship without going too deeply into doctrine. When Jesus said, you must be born again, he's talking about a resurrection of that spirit. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God said, in the day that ye eat of that fruit, ye shall surely die. They didn't die physically. They died spiritually. Their spirit died where they were no longer connected to God. 
That's why the very next time God shows up in the garden, they're hiding from him. They'd never done that before. Why were they hiding now? Because fellowship had been severed because of sin. When someone gets saved, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are born again, not physically, but spiritually. That spirit within them is resurrected, and now they have a meaningful relationship with God. This is why cold religion can never save the soul. Walking through the doors of the church don't resurrect your spirit. Making the sign of the cross doesn't resurrect your spirit. Asking me to pray for you doesn't resurrect your spirit. Walking into a booth and telling someone what you've done wrong doesn't resurrect your spirit. Uh, doing all the things you could do, traveling to Tibet and going to the top of a mountain and praying in a thousand-year-old monastery doesn't resurrect your spirit. There is only one thing possible of restoring our relationship to Almighty God, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. And just like Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, and then what? He rose again. The resurrection is a powerful truth that God is going to resurrect us spiritually to live forever with him. Jesus said, some of you are going to lose your soul. That's scary, isn't it? It'd be a scary thing to lose the soul. The soul exists forever. Jesus Christ explains that a soul can be saved and a soul can be lost. Look at the next verse, verse 37. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Is there anything that's worth changing your soul for? I remember when I was young, and this has been a practice more quietly throughout the ages, and they still do it in some countries where demonism and, and uh, all of that works, but this concept that you can make a deal with the devil, that you can trade your soul for some benefit, there are still places down in Haiti. There are still places down in South America where there are tribes who worship devils and they will literally be praying and doing rituals to make deals with demons to give them some supposed supernatural ability. I remember when I was a kid, I was reading the inside of CDs first came out. You know, that was a big deal. Some of you kids, we're going to have to explain to you what a cassette tape is one of these days, you know. And um, CDs first came out, and I remember I was looking at the front of this CD, and uh, I would like to thank the devil. This is a musician. I would like to thank the devil. I'm like, excuse me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You may have seen clips lately in the last few years where they're, someone's putting on a musical show, they're, they're performing a song, but it almost looks like some type of satanic ritual. Dancers dressed up as demons and devils. And they're like, oh, it's just for play. That's not how I play. That's not how normal people play. 
this concept of what would you give in exchange for your soul. That doesn't just mean making a deal with the devil. But if the devil ever does go down to Georgia looking for a soul to steal, just uh, make sure it's not yours. Some of you don't get that reference. But uh, Johnny won, amen? And so sometimes it's not as overt that I'm going to make a deal with the devil. Sometimes it's I'll do anything for fame. I'll do anything for fortune. I'll do anything for comfort. Jesus said, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Is there anything in this world that you would literally say, I don't care about my soul if I get this in this life? Now, the answer should be no. But a lot of people say, sure, I'll make that deal. What would you give in exchange for your soul? I did a little research as I was pondering about this. Would you give your soul in exchange for the most expensive house in America? At the time of the writing, and I just I didn't do a lot of research, I'm not sure if it's up to date, but at the time of this writing, the most expensive house in America was in the Hamptons in New York. It was called Four Fairfield Pond. It sits on 63 beachfront acres, most expensive house in America. 63 beachfront acres, 18 bathrooms, 21 bedrooms, three swimming pools, a private basketball court, a bowling alley, and a 164-seat theater. It has a 91-foot-long dining room a pool room, two tennis and squash courts, and its own power plant. And it has a garage that parks a hundred cars because they have a collection of some of the most expensive cars in the world. $250 million for a house. Would you exchange your soul for that? If you did, you'd be a fool. Some people would. What about fame? On, on all the top lists of the most famous people who've ever lived, Jesus Christ is number one for obvious reasons. Even in secular lists, honest people put Jesus Christ as number one. But who are the other most famous people in the world? There was a man named Elvis Presley. For some of you kids, he lived around the time of Moses. And uh, he crossed the Red Sea with... Uh... By 1977, he sold over 500 million records. The Guinness Book of World Records says he's the best-selling solo music artist of all time. He was the king, they called him. He would walk into places and women would faint. But it didn't work out too good for Elvis. He died at the age of 42 of a heart attack. Many people believe it was drug related. Famous man in the world at the time. He died a young man 
and a terrible death. Would you trade your soul for fame? If you did, you'd be a fool. But there's someone even more famous than that. It's said that the number two most famous person, and on this list that I was looking at, he was ahead of Gandhi. He was ahead of Muhammad. He was ahead of Buddha. On the list I looked at, the most famous man who ever lived other than Jesus Christ up to this place was a man named Michael Jackson. They said he could go anywhere in the world, and he had fans that would just line up forever. It is estimated that at the time of his death, he had 4.8 billion fans in the world. But it didn't work out too good for Michael Jackson. The end of his life was a mess. He ended up dying, they say, of an overdose. You see, what happens when you study the lives of people who exchange what is best for fame, and fortune, and notoriety, and this world's good, it always ends up being a bad trade. I took a man out to lunch, a local businessman. He had over $50 million in properties in southern Rhode Island. And he sat across from me and wept like a baby because his life was so terrible. Another man who had over $100 million worth of property and assets in Rhode Island lived in a gargantuan mansion right on the water cars, full-time staff. His own kids wouldn't even come and visit him at Christmas. Waiting for him to die. See, dear friend, if you exchange your soul for this world's goods in that way, that is always a foolish mistake. Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What about money? Everybody loves money. The world's richest man, do you know who he is? Elon Musk. They say he's worth anywhere from 240 to 220 billion given the day. The day that the article that I looked at, that day he was worth 277 billion dollars. Now, it's hard for us to understand a billion dollars. A, one billion is 1,000 million. So think of it this way. One billion seconds is 32 years. 227 billion seconds is 7,264 years. If you spent a dollar of his money every second, it would take 7,000 years to spend it. If you spent $1 million an hour, it would take almost 30 years to spend all his money. Let me tell you, dear friend, if you were to exchange your soul for $227 billion, you'd be a fool. 
See, what Jesus is trying to tell us here is there's really nothing that's worth exchanging the soul. What would you exchange your soul for? What is worth eternal separation from God? What is worth eternal torment? What is worth where the worm dieth not? That's the conscious gnawing at you for eternity. All the things you should have done. All the things that you knew to do but you didn't. All the times you rejected Christ. All the times you heard a sermon like this and said no. For eternity, the the memories burrowing in your mind like a ball of worms never quitting while your soul is being feasted upon by eternal flames never to stop, never any relief, never, never, never. There is no reason to exchange your soul. And there is no good deal. But I've seen people quit on God for a good job. I've seen people turn their back on God for, what am my friends going to think? I've seen people not get saved because they were worried about what their friends would think when they were around. I've seen people say, well, if I got saved, my family would be upset at me. There are some people that are going to lose their soul. Well, you don't understand. I grew up in this religion. You're going to lose your soul. Well, you don't understand. I'm, I'm educated, and here's what my professor taught me, and you're going to lose your soul. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If you had the ability to collect every dollar, every cent of wealth that existed on the planet at this moment, and it could all be yours if you would just lose your soul, Jesus said it's a bad deal. There's nothing in this life worth losing our soul over. There's nothing in this life worth exchanging our soul. And the Word of God is able to save our souls. John chapter 1, verse 21 says, The engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. See, if you want to save your soul and not lose your soul, it's the Word of God that shows you how to do that. It's God's Word that gives you the road map to heaven this is what you need to believe. And thankfully, I can tell you from the scriptures, there's, there's no action. There's nothing you have to, to, you don't have to travel anywhere. You don't have to give a certain amount of money. You don't have to join some specific religious system. You don't have to, to become a certain thing to earn your way to heaven. The truth is, heaven is a gift of God. Let me show you some verses. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 8 and 9. For by grace, that's the unearned love of God. Do you know God doesn't love you because you're worth loving? He loves you because He loves you. Amen. That's good news because you say, well, I'm bad. God loves you anyway. Amen. I've done a lot of things. God loves you anyway. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. God loves you anyway. Why? Because He is love. And it's grace that saves us. We don't earn God's love. He loves us because He loves us. 
And for by grace are you saved through faith. Faith in what? Heart faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, and that not of yourselves. This salvation is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You don't go to heaven because you earned it. You go to heaven because God offered it to you as a gift and you receive it. Just in case there's any question, look at verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. See, nobody's going to get into heaven. Well, I, I'm going to heaven because I'm a preacher. No, that's not how it works. Well, I'm going to, I'm a good person. No, you know what? If, if, if we could earn our way into heaven based on works, we'd all be bragging about it. Uh, you don't know what I've done. Hey, I'm going to make it for sure. Look at these list of accomplishments. And God says it's nothing to do with that. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible leaves a very clear trail of breadcrumbs. If we're going to know how to get saved, the first thing we have to do is realize that we have sinned. Look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> These will be familiar to some, but... We ought to never get too far away from these verses. Oftentimes, some of these verses are called the Romans Road. It's like you can just follow the, the signposts on the road in the book of Romans to know how to, to get your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven. The Bible says, Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Do you see that? The word righteous there means perfect. Hey, nobody's perfect. You ever said that before? Hey, nobody's perfect. Well, good. You, most people believe that. Nobody's perfect. We've all made mistakes. But look at verse 23. Why is nobody perfect? For all have sinned. A sin is when we've broken God's law and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God's talking about heaven. Because we've sinned, because nobody's perfect, we're not good enough to go to heaven. I can't earn my way there. I've already blown it. If I never did anything else wrong again from this moment, which is impossible, I've got 46 years full of sins that are still there. And only through accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ can all my sins be washed away. We see our sinful condition. And we see the terrible price. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And the great verse 23. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. death. Now there's two types of death in the Bible. The first death is physical death. That's when this old body dies. My eternal soul is separated from my physical body. But then there's something called the second death, and that's when I lose my soul or my soul dies forever in heaven. It's kind of like the burning bush in the Old Testament. It's on fire, but it's not consumed. And in this terrible place called hell, people's souls will be on fire with spiritual fire, but their body never is consumed, so it never stops burning. I know that's a terrible concept, but I've got to tell you the truth. It's in the Bible. Hold your place here and look at Revelation chapter 21. Let me show it to you. Revelation chapter 21. 
The Bible says, and look at verse 8. The Bible says, but the fearful, those are people who are too afraid to get saved. Well, what are my friends going to think? What's my family going to think? What's it going to cost me? What's this? What's that? They're too fearful to get saved. The unbelieving, these are people who just say, I don't believe that. Maybe they say, I'm a man of science. I'm a logical man. I've got several degrees. Whatever the reason, they just don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe it till I see it. Well, we could disprove that in, real quick in your life. The unbelieving, the abominable, these are people that are involved in such terrible sin. They're, they're so deep in sin doing terrible things they couldn't care less about going to heaven. Murderers, these are people with hatred in their heart. They don't want to get saved. They've got too much hatred, too much anger, too much bitterness. The whoremongers, these are people involved in sexual sin. They're having too much fun. I don't need to go to heaven. I'm having a party down here for a while, perhaps. But even in this life, that gets old real fast. Look on what it says, sorcerers. There's two elements to sorcery. Number one is witchcraft. Uh, all the, the uh, demonology, the talking to the, uh, the dead, the uh, voodoo, the, the witchcraft, the, the paganism, all these types of things that deal with spirits and, and all of that. The Bible calls that sorcery. What's interesting, though, is the word here for sorcery comes from our word that means pharmacy. In almost every type of occult, there is a drug element. And drugs and wickedness go together. And so here it's also talking about those who are on drugs. They don't care about going to heaven. They're worried about their next fix. And idolaters, these are people with other gods. Oh, I don't believe in Jesus. I believe in fill-in-the-blank God. Notice what it says, and all what? Liars. Liars. What's going to happen to this group of people? They'll have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Think of like lava, which is the second death. Now, you may not be fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murders, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters. Dear friend, there's one category of sin that hits us all in that verse, isn't it? Everybody's told a lie. Everybody. I think the reason why God lists these eight sins out of all the others is because these are sins that keep people from getting saved. So the Bible says, unless I were to do something about my sin because I've told a lie, I have, I have this reservation when my body died, my soul had this reservation to go to this terrible place called hell. Look at Revelation chapter 20, just the, the last the chapter before this. Talks about the judgment of God. Look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Those are the books of our works, everything we've ever done, including our sins. 
and another book, which is the book of life. These are people who have their reservation in heaven because they trusted Jesus. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So if you've never trusted Jesus, what's going to happen is someday you're going to stand before God and he's going to have a list of everything you've ever done, good and bad. And one sin would be enough to keep us out of heaven, but we've got a lifetime full of them. Look what he says, verse 13. Everybody's going to have to go to this judgment who's not already in heaven, not already saved. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So in this book of life, it contains the names of those who trusted Jesus Christ in this life. If your name's written in the book of life, you never have to go to this terrible judgment in verse number 20. But if your name's not written in the book of life, you'll be at this judgment and they'll, you'll be judged out of everything you've ever done. And this awful thing called the second death. The preacher, why are you telling me that today? I came here to get encouraged. I got enough problems. I don't need to learn about this. Well, sometimes you got to learn how bad it is before you learn how good it gets. And the good news is that Jesus Christ did everything possible to keep you and I out of this terrible place called hell. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. What did he do? That he gave his only begotten son. Why? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means die and go to hell. But have everlasting life. That means go to heaven. God loves us. God did everything possible to keep us out of this place called, called hell. Jesus Christ paid the price, our eternal price for us to go to heaven. Jesus Christ died on the cross, not for his own sin, but for your and mine. And in a supernatural way, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, God took all of my sin and all of your sin and the sins of everybody who ever had lived and everybody who ever would lived, and he placed them spiritually upon Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ suffered and died on that cross, paying the debt for every sin that had ever been committed. And then when Jesus... Before Jesus gave up the ghost, he cried, It is finished. The debt is paid. Amen. But some people don't know their debt's paid. And some people haven't accepted Christ's payment. Look back at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that a blessing? The gift of God is eternal life. You say, what's a gift? It's something that somebody else buys and they offer it to you. If I were to say, hey, I want to give you this Bible, <laughs> you give me $100, I'll give it to you as a gift. Is that a gift or are you paying for it? Yeah. If I said, hey, you know, I want to give you this Bible as a gift, if you wash my car, detail it, clean it out real good, I'll give you this Bible as a gift. Is that a gift or did you work for it? You worked for it. 
you don't think you're working for it, I got a deal for you later. You can, uh, <laughs> I'd like to give you a gift. <laughs> what if I said, like my friends did, this Bible was a gift? Like a $200 Bible, I couldn't afford it. Some friends got together and gave me this Bible. What if I paid for this Bible and said, I want to give it to you as a gift? All you have to do is accept it or reject it. See, a gift has to be received. And Jesus Christ comes to you today and says, I've paid for eternity. I've paid for every sin. I want to take you to heaven with me. What's it going to cost me? It's a gift. All I have to do, it's a gift. So Jesus holds out salvation to everybody here and those listening online. He holds out salvation this morning. And everybody listening has to either say, thank you, I need that. Or they say, no thanks, I don't want that. Many of you have already said yes, and you've received that gift long ago. Salvation is a gift. Let me show you the last verse, Romans chapter 10. You can never get too far away from these verses. Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That means you're willing to believe it enough to say it. I believe Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. He's exactly who he claimed to be. He's the sinless son of God who died on the cross for our sin. And then notice it says, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be what? saved not lost but saved why for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness wait a minute i thought nobody was righteous isn't that what we read revelation 3 10 there's none righteous no not one but when you trust jesus christ in your heart now you become righteous in the sight of god Amen. for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation you can't see my heart but you can hear my words that say, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've accepted his gift of eternal life. And then look, verse 11, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I've never met anybody that says, Oh, I wish I hadn't believed in Jesus. Oh, I wish I hadn't gotten saved. Never happened. Because if you believe on Jesus, you'll never be ashamed. There'll be a lot of people ashamed who didn't. Notice what it says in verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. As a 16-year-old boy, a man showed me pretty much what I showed you this morning. And listen, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I couldn't go to heaven on my own. And I did believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who died on the cross for my sin. He was buried and he rose again. I believed that. I just didn't know what to do with it. But that man, Brother Bo Eichelman, showed me how to receive God's gift by calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation. By believing in Jesus and asking him to save me and forgive me. And let me tell you, my life's never been the same. You don't know the old Paul Chapman, and you wouldn't want to know him. 
I didn't like him very much myself. If you have been saved here today, would you rejoice? I mean, if you've already been saved in the past, would you look back and say, wow, thank God. Thank God I didn't lose my own soul. And we need to tell other people. Because there's a lot of people on the verge of losing their soul. They don't even know it. But maybe you're here today or you're listening and you say, wow, I'm going to lose my soul. If I were to die right now. But this morning we offer you an opportunity. We'd love to take a Bible and show you what it means to put your faith in Jesus. Trust him once and for all. Walk out of here and have your sins forgiven. I'll never forget, I got saved on a Saturday afternoon. I went home that night. And I laid my head on my pillow, and as I went to sleep, you know those moments when you're not quite asleep yet, but you're kind of drifting off? I experienced such peace for the first time in my life that if I don't wake up in this life, I'm going to be in heaven forever. It was like a thousand pounds had been lifted off my chest. And that's what salvation can do for us. I encourage you, don't lose your soul. Christian, let me give you some homework. Read the preceding verses to what we read this morning. And you'll find God also tells you how not to lose your life. Jesus said, don't lose your life. Whatever you do, don't lose your soul. How do you lose your life? By trying to hang on to it too hard. It's got to be my way. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to listen to God. It's going to be my way. What happens is when you try to live that way, it's like trying to hold on to a handful of sand. The tighter you squeeze, the faster it dribbles out between your fingers. Jesus said, he that keepeth his life shall lose it. But he that loseth his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall find it. You know how you save your life? By giving your life back to Jesus. Jesus saves your soul, but he also saves your life. By giving it back to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what we've heard today. So much deeper we could go into this, and yet we have accomplished what you'd said on our hearts for this morning. And I pray for those who are saved, it would be a wonderful reminder that because of God's grace, we don't have to worry about that terrible place called hell. Lord, also help us today. If there's anybody here today or watching online or listening to this later, Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that they would understand that without you, they're going to lose their soul. There's nothing worthy of exchanging it for. Save those that need saving. Help us all to give our lives back to you so we can have our lives saved as well. Our heads about our eyes are closed. In just a moment, at the end of each of our services, we have an invitation. It's a time to...